With much of Canada in the grips of the third wave of the pandemic, provinces are once again responding with restrictions. And with new variants, experts are saying that's enough for more restrictions. And despite being in a pandemic for more than a year, some are calling to reduce COVID-19 cases to zero. I'm Adam Toy. And I'm Dave McIver. And this is Why. COVID zero. It sounds like it could be the origin of the coronavirus, or it sounds like someone who doesn't believe in COVID-19. So when people talk about COVID zero, they're really talking about a combination of strategies and that may be sort of mix and match. But the idea is to aim to eliminate rather than manage community spread of SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes um, COVID-19. That's Lauren Vogel. The news editor at the Canadian Medical Association Journal. Um, if you prefer, I could also be a, a, a medical journalist in Toronto. Both of those are fine by me. Countries like Australia, New Zealand, Laos, and Vietnam have used COVID zero strategies, and even the Atlantic bubble integrated elements of COVID zero to help drive community spread down. So basically, to to achieve such state, one the the, the region needs um, travel control, so mandatory quarantines to prevent being reinfected, and quite strict sub- financially supported lockdown, short limited time because we don't need like many months of it. That's Dr. Gosha Gasparovich. I have PhD in developmental biology. It can be done if we have low number of cases, it can be done in just six weeks, four weeks or six weeks. Now, probably it would take like three months to get, especially with new variant, to get to zero community transmission in place like Alberta. But it is doable. It's not a half a year of lockdown. It's uh, six weeks to three months. The virus needs a host. So it jumps from person to person. When we limit contacts, then it doesn't have place to jump and dies out. So basically everything that is non-essential should be closed, including in-person schools uh, and including places of worship to make it really, really fast. And the thing is that it cannot be done without a support. So strong financial support support for people and businesses is absolutely essential uh, while pursuing COVID zero uh, because people need money to survive. People, people need to eat, businesses need to pay mortgages or debts and rents. So, so this is essential, but it's like three months probably to, to, to get there. Three months sounds like a long time, and we will get back to talking about that. But first, let's talk about the pros and the cons. So folks in favor of a COVID zero approach point to a handful of places like New Zealand and Australia, um, which have really sort of successfully quashed outbreaks by taking very tough measures up front which have allowed them to enjoy fewer restrictions on daily life now because they're managing a much smaller number of cases. Um, A a long time ago, um, we were outstripped in Canada by our ability to contact trace and isolate everybody who had COVID. There's just too many cases in in the community now. Critics, however, have questioned uh, whether eliminating COVID-19 in Canada is 
practically or politically feasible. Um, they've noted that places that successfully implemented these strategies never allowed their outbreaks to get out of hand in the first place. A lot of them are islands like Australia and New Zealand. Um, and so that makes it easier to get on top of new cases and stop new cases from coming into those countries. And then some places have also resorted to sort of heavy handed measures that a lot of Canadians might consider draconian. Certainly some people called them draconian, like uh, Australia's curfews. They also had very heavy fines and mass arrests of anti-lockdown protesters. So that's stuff that we haven't seen in Canada and I doubt we would like to see in Canada. Right. And so is that some of these more draconian measures? Is that what you mean when you say practical concerns about COVID-0 strategies? Well, I think when it comes to practical, it's really about the new variants now more than it is um, whether this was a good idea in the past. Certainly back in December when we wrote this article, there was, I think, a very reasonable debate on both sides about it. Um, however, I've heard kind of a shift in the conversation since then, where people are saying more that, um, you know, because of the new variants and how much more transmissible they are, up to 70% more transmissible than the previous strains that were circulating um, back in the early waves of the pandemic. That's a reason why people are talking about COVID zero now. It's because we're quickly getting outstripped by our ability um, with status quo mitigation efforts to bring this under control. But it's also a reason why some experts argue it may not be possible to eliminate the virus now. It's, there's just too many cases. Um, and even back before the variants emerged, experts estimated it would take Canada several months of strict lockdowns while boosting testing and contact tracing to even achieve the same results as somewhere like Australia or New Zealand. So we were looking at months back in December of very, very heavy handed lockdowns. Now, um, I, I'm not sure whether that calculation would be the same. It may be quite a bit worse now. Ah, yes, the variants. There's the B117 variant, originally found in the UK, that has become the dominant strain for many provinces. There's the B1351, first detected in South Africa, and the P1 variant, first found in Brazil. Variants come from random mutations when the virus replicates itself in a person. You'll remember this from McMaster University's Matthew Miller in our episode on new COVID strains. Normally, those... Um you know, mutations have a negative or, or sorry, a, a neutral effect. Sometimes they have a negative effect. And then occasionally a mutation will pop up that allows the virus to do something better than it could do before. The, the mutations happen randomly, essentially, in every single infected person. So what's happened in the case of these novel variants is that by chance, in the case of the B117 variant as an example, the virus is replicated in an individual in such a way that the mutations that happened randomly gave it the ability to spread more efficiently. And as that individual spread the virus to the next person, you know, the virus has sort of continued to evolve and take advantage of those properties, which which basically makes it um, outcompete the, the virus that has been circulating prior to that. So there's the best thing we can do, to, frankly, to to reduce the risk of variants emerging is simply reduce the number of infected people, because the more people that are are infected, the more chance we're giving the virus to mutate. Like last time I calculated, it was 36 percent more transmissible than mm -hmm. the variant, the old variant, which means that its R value is 36 percent higher. So. The R value is how many people on average one infected person will. Um, right. So if R value is above one, 
the exponential curve is growing and if it's below one then then it's declining so when you say three months is that three months because of the current amount of virus that's in the community you know given that alberta has seen a thousand cases plus a day ontario three thousand plus cases a day is that why that'll take so long yes so i made recalculated everything a week ago like what would happen if we would shut down on april 1st or april 2nd mm. um, and it took me to 10 weeks to 12 weeks of a shutdown in Alberta. And it's because like, if we had done it in February and or in January, it would take just six weeks because numbers were much lower. So from if you start from 200 cases and the halving time is like six days, then in six days you are at, I started from 200, right? From 200 to 100 and then 50 and so on. When you right. start from 1,000 in first six days, you are just in 500 and then 250. So it takes much longer time from the higher level you start. And also the additional thing is that we have the new variant B117 and it spreads much faster. And so you need much stronger, so the same restrictions don't give the same effect for B117 as it gave for old variant, wild type variant. So for example, because it's like around 40% more transmissible. So if we, even now, if we would now in Alberta introduce a shutdown that we had in winter, it wouldn't bend the curve of B117. It would make it, instead of doubling like now every six, seven days, it would double every two and a half weeks but it wouldn't bend down. So mm -hmm. to bend it down, we would need something like we had last spring, and it would be just below, the R value would be just below one, to bend it really much stronger, to have the reasonable downward slope in cases and hospitalizations and, and, and deaths, we would need a lockdown like in New Zealand or Australia. Hmm. Wow. So now we had, we, had, like, we had really good chance to do it, to go to zero, with relatively small pain with the old variant now it will be tougher but it's still it is still doable so on the one hand there's a covid zero where you try to stamp out as much of the virus as possible and try to get community spread down to zero or as close to zero as possible and there's also another approach where it's more reactive and it's more responsive to how the spread happens within the community where cases go up restrictions also respond in kind what's your thoughts on this so this this what you what you said the second strategy is, is called mitigation strategy mm -hmm this responsive ones and it aims for it's 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 both in canada in six provinces uh six largest provinces and in in western europe it seems to be the same the aim is it's tied to hospital beds like mm -hmm. not to over overwhelm the hospital system but it totally doesn't recognize the spread dynamics of the virus uh that basically the virus is like the spread is like a wildfire, like a cancer, like mice in your infestation, that either you go to zero or if you have just a little bit, it will start growing again. So there is no way to keep it on stable stable level. It's just not this type of phenomena. It's like, like if you have melanoma cancer mold, you have to remove it. If you leave it, after some time, it will start spreading, and then then you have a problem, right? So you have to if you have five, you have to remove all of five. You don't leave one. And here we've seen that. So basically, this reactive approach 
we've seen how it failed. Uh, it didn't work. Nobody could keep it on constant level. We had the second wave when we, in Alberta when we started to react when we've been above 700 daily cases. And then it goes fast and, and it's very like your hospitals uh, are full and it's you are managing and then super disaster. And then we did the same again already. Yeah, second time, third time that cases were going down and they are low. So we reopened. But if you remember, if you have cases, they will start growing. There's no, no magic about it. It will just happen. So now they are growing and we have we are in the third wave. And again, we are reacting except now we have the variant that spreads much faster. So basically this mitigation strategy that hoped for having a sustained like little little wavelets or, or slow burn, it just didn't work, it failed. It, it, it is not such stable level, it's not achievable. achievable. Um, so I, I think it should be, it should be, um, abandoned like we shouldn't continue on this because it just doesn't work when you say it doesn't work what do you mean what are the measurements on why that doesn't work because we have waves like if it would work we would have this little wavelets local targeted in targeted interventions or we would have the stable like every day 100 cases right if it would work but it doesn't and that's why we have, and the proof that it doesn't is, is, is the waves, that is the high waves that we have, because this, this, this virus grows exponentially. So you cannot, you cannot control it. And actually even mathematically, like physically, it's like you need the same amount of effort to keep it, to, theoretically, to keep it at 100 daily cases as keeping at zero. And actually you, you need less to keep it at zero because it won't, nothing can grow from zero. So just, just this extra effort to getting from 100 daily cases to zero cases reduces your costs afterwards. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was calculated by economists that, uh, that really zero COVID is, uh, is cheaper than, and better for the economy than mitigation strategy. It mm -hmm. was demonstrated by economists from Ontario and also recently there was a report from France uh, with, with the same conclusions. So basically the work of it is better for economy as well. Many people who oppose the COVID zero strategy say it only works on islands, places like, uh, let's say, Australia, New Zealand, Taiwan, uh, and won't work on larger continents. Uh, how do you respond to that? Uh, yeah, Vietnam and Laos are not islands. And they were successful with COVID zero as well. I don't remember exactly what is population of uh, Vietnam, but it's huge and has big land borders with also highly populated countries. So, so basically, it's not it's it's good to be an island for sure, uh, but it's not a necessary condition to achieve COVID zero. Um, and also, like talking about geography and advantages, like place like Alberta with super low population density, with like we are the size of twice of Germany and the population is, okay. Okay, I can com compare to Poland. So we are twice the size of Poland and the population is 10 times smaller. As we know in Canada, healthcare is a provincial jurisdiction. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on whether any provincial health authorities have shown any appetite for these sorts of strategies or do they seem to be all in on mitigation? 
Well, I, I would say that actually some parts of Canada have definitely shown some appetite for, for tougher measures up front to try and um, prevent COVID from spreading within their communities. Uh, we've seen in Northern Canada and the Atlantic provinces, they've adopted some COVID zero light kind of policies and they've been pretty successful at that, but they're also more isolated. So maybe those strategies are better for those parts of Canada. Um, they also had fewer cases to begin with compared to say Ontario or Quebec. Um, more recently, we've seen, for example, the BC Greens uh, calling for a COVID zero approach in that province. And again, they were citing because of the variants and things are getting out of control, they, they wanna shut it down now. We've heard a similar call coming from Manitoba saying back uh, in the new year saying, you know, we're seeing these variants picking up speed. Should we shut this down now? Um, I would say, however, that the provinces that have been hardest hit during the pandemic are led by right of center governments. Um, so for example, Ontario, uh, Alberta, where they're more ideologically um, suited to a mitigation approach. They're not as likely to adopt a very heavy handed government top down approach to COVID. And I doubt we're gonna see much appetite for that going forward. What are some of the strategies that uh, governments would use to get to COVID zero that are non-pharmaceutical interventions? I think the important thing to understand is that it's a combination of, uh, of restrictions. It's like a leaky roof. You, you need to patch down all the holes to, mm. to prevent yourself. So to put as many layers as possible and then, then they are super effective and they are fast. So if you close bars but leave schools open, then the, especially with new variants, the, the epidemic will continue. It will continue slower, but it will continue. Uh, if, you, if you do everything, if you close schools, if you close bars, if you close non-essential businesses, if, if you make travel control and give people support so they can go on, can leave their work for some time, because now so many people cannot do it because they don't have sick leave, um, then, then, then yeah, then, that everything can be very effective. The, you can have additive effect or even multiplicative effect of each intervention. But like now, if it's just selective, something is closed, but something else is open, uh, it's like almost a bailing of a canoe with a hole. Mm -hmm. Water coming in and you're trying to take it out from the other side, which is very ineffective because there's a lot of cost coming in closing businesses but then you leave schools open or the other way around, you close schools, but leave the bars open. So some people take sacrifices and they are wasted because uh, cumulatively it's not as effective as it could be. So it sounds like for COVID zero, there's no targeted response. It needs to be a broad-based, almost society-wide response to drive those numbers down. It can be local, it can be local. So provided that uh, the travel is restricted and then you have like travel control between provinces. So Exactly, that's what Atlantic Canada did. I think it's amazing case study to, to copy. Uh, so each province closed, not closed their borders, restricted travel from mm -hmm. other provinces. So, and draw, they, they made lockdowns and they didn't reopen until, until they had zero community cases. And then they reopened within the, within the province and then they joined with other provinces, other of these four provinces that also drove the cases to zero. Because you know, mm -hmm. somebody who is not infected, you don't infect yourself. So then they generated this bubble. So if every province in Canada would do it, then we could, 
when, once the province is at zero, this province can jo join other provinces that are at zero and, and open, open to travel between mm -hmm. each other. Mm -hmm. but, but yeah, it, it cannot be done it just if, if, if there is free travel. So it cannot be done in Toronto, but not in Ottawa, because then anybody who has cases will infect other people. So it has to be like everybody has to be on board for the for the goal and it has to be clearly communicated mm -hmm. and also going to your question about the measures that the measures so the more measures we take the better and there are some that are that weren't used as effectively as they could and that's protection against airborne transmission so if we would tighten it even more so if everybody could wear as strong mask as possible, like N95 or, or higher quality or some other type of respirators. If we would fix the ventilation and air quality in buildings, that would that would do, do a lot, really. And also informing people that uh, that COVID spreads through through aerosols, because when when people know really what the mechanism is, they know how to protect themselves and how to how to slow down the spread. So we we have these things we have now the extra thing is also like contact tracing apps that that could be used that we didn't have last last spring uh, we have vaccines already so the more people are vaccinated the the more the r will go down uh, and, and it will reduce the spread uh, so we have we have some extra tools to, to in the box that we can consciously use and uh, and reduce the spread we should have clearly stated what our, our end goal is. And it is still not stated even with vaccines. So some people say, oh, our end goal is having 74% population vaccinated. But it's not the, this is not in the category of the end goal because it's like saying, we want everybody to wear a mask. That's our goal. That, that's different things. Those are tools. So end goal can be either pandemic going like as it is, or endemics, or the, the third one is elimination and the fourth eradication. So there are four different end goals. And I think policymakers have to be specific which end goal we are having. So do we use vaccines to achieve elimination or do we use vaccine to keep pandemic going um, or to have um, endemic? And with endemic, can we have endemic? Uh, it's exponentially growing virus. So I don't think we can have endemic. So actually saying that we will have endemic is saying again that we will have this little waves or stable thing, which which probably is not is not possible. So it would be nice that that the society knows what the end goal is and it is not verbalized. This is Why is produced by me, Adam Toy, and Dave McIver. It's a national radio show and a podcast. You can reach us by email at thisiswhy at globalnews.ca and on Twitter at thisiswhy. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, make sure you subscribe to This Is Why so you never miss an episode. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And if you like what you're hearing, tell a friend. Thanks for listening. Wash your hands, wear a mask, and get vaccinated if you can. We'll see you soon.